Bondage and Freedom. We're familiar with the story of the Underground Railroad in the United States, but the network went as far north as Canada. Hundreds of Canadians helped runaway slaves find a new life, and thousands of people were rescued. In 1833, over 30 years before the end of the American Civil War, slavery was outlawed in the British Empire. And that included what's now Canada, but she still had a part to play. Known as Canaan Land, many runaway slaves headed north. They knew that they would be free as soon as they crossed the border. An estimated 30,000 slaves followed the Underground Railroad to Canada between 1800 and 1860. It's hard to come to terms with what slavery actually was. Millions of people in bondage because of the color of their skin. Christians can know that God made all the nations from one man, and through Christ, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're in a series that we began yesterday called Grace Unshackled. He was born into a privileged life in England back in the 1700s, and he lived a life that most wealthy landowners enjoyed. He enjoyed politics, and he hoped to one day become prime minister. But things changed dramatically for William Wilberforce after he met Jesus. He wasn't sure if he could continue to be faithful to his Lord in the world of politics, but John Newton encouraged him to stay the course. It is possible, perhaps only my hope, that the Lord has raised you up for the good of his church and the good of the nation. In what way? My work for Parliament thus far now seems trivial and insignificant to me. What cause would God have me take on? I have no doubt he will make that clear to you. The Amazing Grace radio drama about the life of Wilberforce, Newton, and Equiano. Stay with me. In a moment, we're going to hear how Newton encouraged Wilberforce to use his Christian perspective to help bring an end to the slave trade in their country. After the program, I'd like to send you the radio drama called Amazing Grace on five CDs. As you listen to this cinema of the mind experience that's Five hours of great listening long. I know you'll be encouraged to see how the Lord's grace can transform lives in our culture around us. So, after the program, give us a call. The number to call is 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or better yet, go to our website. Listen to samples from the radio drama that we have there. And our website is haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And now, let's start with Phil Wickham and a song about grace. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Oh 
is Amazing Grace. Phil Wickham opening this haven today. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you for joining me on a program called Grace Unshackled. And now I want us to go back again today to Colorado Springs. I want us to meet up once again with the director and writer of this radio drama series called Amazing Grace. Paul McCusker. We heard about John Newton on yesterday's program. Now, let's talk about William Wilberforce. Tell us a bit about who he was and how his story overlapped with Newton's. Well, and that's that's what's fascinating. That's one reason we made these connections uh, for the audio dramas that we do uh, in this particular set. But um, John Newton, as, as we have discussed, John Newton became a believer, became a pastor, and became very influential uh, to a lot of people. He became an advice giver. And it was interesting because he, um, at, in his pastorate, in the area where he was a pastor, um, became friends with the family of William Wilberforce and, um, and became a mentor, a sort of godfather to um, William Wilberforce as a young man, as a child, and influenced him. And it was certainly part of Wilberforce's um, spiritual development, I think, solidly certainly planted the seeds of what would become what we might call an evangelical sensibility of his faith, and that would become very important later on. So um, in the story, the big story, when certain circumstances changed in William Wilberforce's adult life, where he had to make some very serious decisions, he sought out John Newton again to get help and get some advice about what to do. So that's the connection between uh, the, the two men early on in Wilberforce's life and then later again. So let's move on to later on in his life. Uh, William Wilberforce has moved into politics. Uh, he is a Christian. John Newton is older, preaching in London. He's moved from only England. And explain 
how their lives interacted again that you carry out in the drama that you've produced? Well, we jump in in his adult life. I mean, we established that he comes from a very, fairly well-to-do family, but lost his father as a young man. And that also opened the door for John Newton to become a mentor to him as he was in nearby living with an aunt and uncle. And um, he then he was an ambitious young man. I mean, he, he was I think politics was the thing that he was determined to do and and to rise in. And he was actually doing that very thing. He was a mover and a shaker of his generation and and founding different organizations, including the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and and emphasizing what he would call manners. And he talks about that a lot later. But he was very active, very energetic, um, highly respected uh, in the community because he was essentially a good guy and didn't play dirty politics, but was was definitely um, ambitious. But then he had that collision that so many people will have where his career is going, growing, and then there are these influences that come into his life that lead him to think beyond uh, his, well, uh, his ambition. He begins to think and begins to read and begins to absorb through friends the possibility of, of life after death, of a spiritual life being more important than just being a member of the Church of England, you know, as a social status, that mm-hmm. it is something meant to be personal. A mm-hmm. personal relationship with Jesus Christ was something that came onto uh, his radar and he embraced that. He he then had, and I, I, I don't think there was such what we would call that decisive Billy Graham moment, you know, where he went to the altar mm. in that respect. But he certainly had this slow um, conversion that then led him into this faith that he suddenly knew he had to do something about. And he almost left politics, didn't he? Well, that was a big thing. Um, he He honestly didn't think, he didn't know what he was going to do. Because he couldn't reconcile being um, a, a politician and a Christian at the same time, which is fascinating. We, when we juxtapose that to John Newton, when John Newton uh, for a long time was a Christian, but continued to be a slave trader because it just didn't occur to him that there was anything wrong with that. You had an immediate thing from Wilberforce saying, I just don't see how I can do both. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I think I'm going to have to give this up. Well, then he sought out. John Newton's advice. And, and I love this part of the story because he goes to John Newton saying, I don't know what to do. I mean, my career has been in this direction. Now I have this relationship with Christ. I want to live it out for real. What do I do? And Newton was the one who said, you need to do both. I am of a mind that to follow Christ would mean giving up my public life, my work in politics. Has God required this of you? No. Not exactly. Yet I cannot reconcile how I can be a Christian and a politician at the same time. (laughs) With God, all things are possible. You tease me, sir. Only lightly. And with great affection. And affection never diminished while you made your way in the world. What am I to do? Humbly, I confess to you that I am too unacquainted with your public circle to feel competent to advise you. You know how they will react. I will be branded a Methodist or an Evangelical. A terrible brand. It is. While we Evangelicals have been instruments of much good, 
Our zeal has at times made us intemperate and injudicious. We are perceived as too enthusiastic, wild, contrary, thus causing offence. Sir, I am greatly relieved that you understand my situation. I do. In the public square, professed Christians are considered contemptible, censured and disliked, purposefully misunderstood and misinterpreted. In other words, my son, they are treated as Christ himself was treated. My son, it is possible, perhaps only my hope, that the Lord has raised you up for the good of his church and the good of the nation. In what way? My work for Parliament thus far now seems trivial and insignificant to me. What cause would God have me take on? I have no doubt. He will make that clear to you. This is Haven Today in a program called Grace Unshackled. And you just heard an excerpt from Amazing Grace. Paul McCusker, how did William Wilberforce's efforts bring an end to the slave trade? Well, and that then becomes a huge thing because... You know, if you talk to people about what he's known for, it's going to be that. And yet initially, that was not on his radar. He, he was aware of it. He was aware that it was wrong. But he didn't necessarily early on have a particular, let's just call it a, a feeling necessarily, that it was something he was supposed to throw himself wholeheartedly into. Um, but again, it was the influence of people around him who uh, began to say, you need to be aware of this. Do you know what's going on? And there was a, a, a Clapham gang is basically what they were called. There were uh, several people who were determined that this was screaming out to God. Slavery was the issue that needed to be corrected. It needed to be abolished. Thus, the abolitionist movement began. And they, mm-hmm. it was Thomas Clarkson. It was um, uh, just several people influenced him, drew him into the reality of how heinous the whole thing was. And from that point forward, um, Wilberforce was convinced and he engaged in it and then began for the rest of his life uh, to, to work on legislation and activities that would essentially end slavery. And it did happen. The culmination. Tell us about the culmination then. Well, it's, it's fascinating because, again, it, you had all of the battles that you often had, which was, how do you stop it immediately? Or uh, do you stop it incrementally? Because you do have an entire industry centered around that. And so the pushback against slavery was, well, but this is our income. This is our life. We've built an entire industry around it. And other industries rely on it. So he had to be shrewd in balancing those who were saying it must stop right now. And that's what we're fighting for. Or how do we do it incrementally in a way that we can actually get legislative help to do it? The fascinating thing is that he, I think he started his efforts 1780s, where he embraced the whole thing and the final legislation, the final thing that happened that abolished slavery in in what was essentially the British Empire was uh, 1832. So it was several decades later before slavery was declared illegal. And and it's wild to think that he started, you know, when he was in his late 20s, early 30s, and would have been, he, he saw the end of slavery right before he died. 
Mm-hmm. And but it was a lot of work. He had to persevere through the whole thing with setbacks, with people who fought, give and take. I mean, political prowess had to be used, diplomacy had to be used. And he applied all of those things to become the major force that he was. Who is that? Who's there? It's me, William. I, um, <clears throat> I heard about your speech and uh, your collapse. Uncle John, have you been here long? No, not very. You have many friends downstairs who are waiting to see you, who have been praying for you. Uh, I should go to them. In a moment or two. The Times has declared your two-hour speech a triumph. The Morning Star has called you the bravest man in the kingdom. Three other newspapers have stated that with you leading the charge, victory over the slave trade is assured within the year. (laughs) Do you believe that? Within the year? No. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) No. I expect a long and arduous fight. But as I lie here, I wonder how I will fight. How this frail and feeble body will ever rise against a mountain of hatred, cruelty and greed. The only way such things are ever done, William, by the grace of God. Help me up, my dear Uncle John. We all shall, my son. This is Haven Today in a program called Grace Unshackled. And you just heard an excerpt from the Radio Theater's production called Amazing Grace. Paul McCusker, let me ask you this, which I asked you about John Newton on an earlier program. What importance does the life and the story of William Wilberforce have on us today? I think the power of it is, as always, with people that we admire in the faith, uh, they responded to God's call, number one, uh, even if it meant great sacrifice on their part. It could have ended his career. It could have taken him in a lot of different ways. But even more so was his engagement in the issue. And let me just broaden it to say there are a lot of issues that we can engage in. Sure. But he focused in his time on one in response to God's call and dedicated himself uh, through the rest of his life uh, to get that job done, not knowing whether he was going to succeed or fail. And I think that's the challenge for us as believers now. His life speaks to me in a way that says, number one, I need to sacrificially respond to God's call, hear what he's calling me to do and do it. And a lot of that is like John Newton was operating as a pastor in a different reality and effective in that way in so many ways. William Wilberforce was used by God in a different direction, but a vital direction. Because he responded, he was able to accomplish what he did. And we need to look then, as God calls us, to look around us and say, what is he calling me to do? Hmm. We can engage in so many things and, and exhaust ourselves trying to do it. And a lot of times God is asking us, to do one thing as opposed to a dozen things, though we, we're a bit ADP, so we try to do, right. as Pascal yes. said, too often we're picking up crosses God never meant for us to bear. And so what what cross does God want us to bear? And, and let's bear it and see how we can influence our culture 
influence those around us on all levels uh, in his name. Hmm. Paul McCusker in Colorado Springs, my brother in Christ, thank you for sharing with us about the life of William Wilberforce. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was This is Haven Today and a program called Grace Unshackled. And that was The Tenors with Natalie Grant. And of course, you know that song. John Newton wrote the words, Amazing Grace. Well, just before we go, I want to say thank you 
to so many who have partnered with Haven Today to help us keep sharing this great story that's all about Jesus. And for your generous gift to the ministry today, I'd like to send you the radio theater audio drama that you just heard a little bit from called Amazing Grace. As you listen, the stories on this five-CD set play out like a movie on the biggest screen of all, your imagination. You'll hear the stories of William Wilberforce, John Newton, and Alato Equiano, three men instrumental in overthrowing the slave trade, and they all love Jesus. As you listen, you'll better understand how the grace of God can transform lives and the culture around them, including today. Our number to call right now is 800-654-2836, 800-65-HAVEN. Or go to our website. We've put up some samples for you to listen to from this five-hour radio drama and make your gift there. Our web address again is haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again we'll get to share together this great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Nobody gets a free lunch in a world filled with doubts. That much remains certain. After all, no matter what, nothing is completely free. When someone takes you out and buys you a meal, they have to pay for it. I suppose one of the ways you can tell a child is growing up is when they start realizing that everything costs something. But there is one thing that truly is free, the grace of God. The Lord said through his prophet, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There's grace available. There's enough for you, and it won't cost you a cent. Get the daily encouragement you need for your walk with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Try it in print monthly at getanchored.com.